Well, good morning, MCCers. And uh, so, uh, just a quick question. Uh, Adam just asked if you'd been to camp. I'm going to ask you, were you here last weekend? How many of you were here last weekend? So, just a quick question. How'd the homework go? Right? Remember homework? Top 10 things that are great about your spouse or if you maybe with a friend or someone you're dating or someone like that, right? We all did that, right? Sandy and I exchanged ours on Friday, actually, uh, for Valentine's Day. And, uh, but I hope that you were able to do that as well. I've heard some good stuff about that. And in case you needed to be reminded of it this morning, I wanted to, you know, make sure you remembered to do that. Hey, uh, <laughs> if this is your first weekend with us, glad that you're here. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And by the way, if this is your first time, we have a gift for all first-time guests. It's out at the info corner. Uh, th- that's just our way of saying thanks for being here. And if you're joining us online, thank you for watching there. And, and our hope is that what we do here, what we say here, helps you grow in your faith and helps you help your friends who don't know Jesus come to know him and want to follow him as well. So I hope that's very helpful to you. We thought when we were looking through this year, we thought that February was a good month to talk about relationships and because they're an essential part of our life. The problem is they're not only an essential part of our life, they can also be one of the messiest parts of our life. So we talked about the first week we talked about if we want to do relationships well, we model them after the way Jesus did relationships. And so I hope that you're doing that. And last week we talked about husbands and wives and what can make marriages messy and and what we can do about that. Today is all about difficult people. And so I'm just, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that maybe everyone in the room here this morning has at least one person in their life who is a difficult uh, person. And the way you know is they drive you nuts, they're frustrating, and they're exhausting. And by the way, if they're sitting somewhere near you, please don't stare and point, all right? Uh, And I want to be clear, want to be clear, all relationships uh, have issues and problems. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, there will be an argument. Uh, (laughs) Actually, that is a that's a, that's a blatant abuse of scripture, although it is true, all right? Uh, and, and don't hear me saying that you want to avoid conflict with people. Earlier uh, this year, I was reading a, a study. Research shows, this is on your notes, I want to make sure you had this, that engaging in non-blaming, open conflict brings people closer, and that people who engage in healthy conflict have greater well-being, are more popular, and have less depression, anxiety, and loneliness. And when people avoid conflict... What they tend to do is distance themselves from others, which damages that relationship where they're having difficulty with someone. So today is not about getting rid of everyone in your life that has the ability to make your life difficult from time to time. To do that, you'd have to go live in a cave, and at some point, you'd kick yourself out. Uh, But let me say again, even your your best friends who love you and who God has put in your life and are a gift to you can be difficult at times. That's not who we're talking about. Today we're talking about those who drain the joy right out of your life. So on your notes, again, there's several quotes this week. I want to make sure you catch this. Difficult people, David Faust wrote this, they're as prevalent as the common cold and just as hard to cure. Some some call them irregular people, uh, well-intentioned dragons, or EGR. Have you ever heard that phrase, EGR? Extra grace required people. Like... (laughs) 
uh, like speed bumps on life's highway, they slow you down and make it harder to move ahead. In the bank account of relationships, they make lots of withdrawals and very few deposits. Rick Warren talks about these kind of folks. He's the author of The Purpose Driven Life. It's in his book. Uh, many of us have read that book. And he, he writes this, extra grace required people. You know them, don't you? There's some in every church, every office, every school, every meeting, and in every family. These are the folks who get on your last nerve. They drain your energy. They engulf you in their constant drama. They're always stirring something up. There is nowhere to go to get away from them. Quit your job and go to a new company. You're going to find EGR people waiting for you there. Leave your, leave your church to another one, to go to another one, and you're going to find just as many EGR people there as you had in your last church, maybe more. Leave your EGR spouse for greener pastures. It won't be long before you find that your new spouse is also uh, an, EG, an EGR. Uh, what if God, listen, what if God intends that we treat extra grace required people with the extra grace that they require? What if that's his plan? Rick Warren goes on to say this about EGR people, and this is on your notes. Again, I wanted to make sure you took this home. God put these people in our midst for both their benefit and ours. They are an opportunity for growth and a test for fellowship. Will we love them as brothers and sisters and treat them with dignity? Listen, is it not the nature of grace that it is extended to those who don't deserve it and have not earned it? Isn't that what grace is all about? Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you will have great reward. You will be acting the way the children of the Most High act, for he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate which maybe gives just a little bit more punch to what Jesus said in the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And I'm going to guess that almost every day of your life, in all of your relationship realm, that there is an opportunity at least once or twice during the day to bring harmony where there is turbulence. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, there are two things about that Beatitude, that verse I want you to catch. The first concerns the word peace. You probably wouldn't recognize the Greek word for peace, but my guess is you know the Hebrew word for peace. Anybody brave enough to guess it out loud? Shalom. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's an interesting word, and I know Adam talked about it several weeks ago, but this peace is not just the absence of evil things, but when shalom is used, it is the presence of everything that is good, which sounds good, doesn't it? Because <laughs> Jesus is picturing this place where there is no evil, it's only filled with good. There is no conflict. There's only harmony. But that is not the world in which we live. To address the issue of peace invites the reality of conflict that exists in our lives, that which seeks to undo the peace. Difficult people undo peace. Sometimes they do it intentionally. Other times they just do it. So as we look at peace, we need to be reminded of three truths about difficult people. They're on your notes. want to make sure you get these. And it's this is what makes relationships messy. Sometimes relationships are messy because just some conflict is unavoidable. 
you are going to have conflict. It's part of our world, our everyday world. And it has been ever since the beginning of time. As a matter of fact, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we see the very first, right, the very first example of conflict. Satan tricked Eve into eating the fruit that God told them not to eat. Adam just, he wasn't tricked, he just ate it. And verse 7 says that both of them realized they were naked, so they made a quick trick trip to Old Navy. Verse 8 says that then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. And God called out to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And it's not recorded in Scripture, but I'm pretty sure the next conversation was Eve turning to Adam and saying, the woman you put here with me? The woman, right? Kicked out of the garden in the bedroom all in one day. Listen, you can follow through each chapter in Genesis. Conflict is the story of Scripture. It's Cain and Abel. It's why there was a flood. Uh, Jacob literally wrestled with God. It's the story of Joseph and his brothers. It's the story of Moses and Pharaoh. It's the life of Esther. It's David and Goliath. It's David and Saul. It's David and his son Absalom. It's all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's all around you, isn't it? I mean, it's in the workplace, conflict, difficult people. It's in our schools. It's, It's in our homes. It's in our churches. And sometimes it's why you look for a new job. And it's why friends say things that they wish they had. And it's why brothers and sisters are sent to their bedrooms. And it's why husbands and wives don't want to go to their bedroom. Heard of a Christian couple who was having some marriage troubles, but neither felt there's a scriptural reason for divorce. So the wife said to her husband, why don't we just pray that God calls one of us home and I'll go live with my mom, right? Uh, (laughs) Conflict, conflict is why there is, right, there is war around the world. And it's why there's war in your world. Conflict has been part of the world as long as, and as long as you're part of the world, conflict will enter your life because some conflict is unavoidable. It's just going to be there. But here's the other thing that makes life messy. Sometimes relationships can be messy because there's some conflict that's not necessary. It is unnecessary. It could have been avoided. Not long after the development of the atomic bomb, uh, Albert Einstein declared, the unleashed power of the atom has changed everything except our way of thinking. We shall require a substantially new manner of thinking if mankind is going to survive. And later a photographer who had noted just, I mean, the sadness on his face when he said this, asked uh, Einstein, he said, so you don't believe there will ever be peace? And the scientist said, no, as long as there is man. There will be wars. You know people like that? People who like to stir things up. Maybe not wars on a worldwide level, but certainly skirmishes on a very personal level. David Faust wrote this uh, about difficult people. He said, they act as if their spiritual gift is irritability, and their role in the body is thorn in the flesh. They're hard to get along with. They're hard to figure out, and they're hard to like. They're difficult to work with or agree with. They're busy rocking the boat while others are trying to row. He said, like, like an ocean undercurrent, their negative attitudes may not appear on the surface, but they drag people down. They destroy morale, and they create an atmosphere of tension and suspicion rather than encouragement and trust. Do you know people like that? 
you live with people like that, you work with people like that, it's messy. Read an article a while back in USA Today called Getting a Handle on Impossible People, people that will bring conflict into your life. And in this article was this quiz to help you determine if you have anyone like this in your life. So check out the big screen because the questions will be up there. Do you feel anxious when this person leaves a message for you to call? Does dealing with him or her drain your energy? Do you sometimes dread having to talk to this person? Do you have imaginary conversations trying to defend yourself, right? By the way, you always win those conversations, right? I'm I'm hoping you do at any rate. Uh, Do you think of bailing out of a job or of a marriage because of this person? You have people like that in your life? Remember when Dr. Einstein said that as long as there's man, there will be wars. About the same time, Dr. Robert Oppenheimer, uh, who supervised the creation of the first atomic bomb, was asked to appear before a congressional uh, committee hearing. And they asked him if there's any defense against the awesome new weapon of war. And he said, certainly there is. (laughs) What is it? He said, it's peace. That's how you defuse the atomic bomb. Which leads to this hope, by the way. Conflict can usually be resolved. I mean, it'll be messy for a minute. But it can can usually be resolved, which is why Paul would write to the church in Rome, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Isn't that, I mean, that's what you want, right? Don't you want peace in your life? Make every effort that leads to peace. So how can we not just be peaceful people, but be makers of peace? On your notes, and I love this quote, Erica Jong said, Advice is what we ask for when we already know the answer, but we wish we didn't, right? So what you're about to hear isn't anything new. And I want to remind you, listen, we say here at MCC, we say we exist to love God, love people. Okay, okay, let me me start that over. When I go, when I slow down, that means I want you to, okay? So we say that we exist to love God, love people, and live on mission, right? We Love God and love people, not just easy to love people. There's, listen, there's nothing in Scripture that, that tells us you're off the hook with these kind of people. We are called to love. It's our job description. It's, listen, this is, this is how people know that we are followers of Jesus, that we love people, even people who haven't earned our love. Difficult people make that difficult. But how in the world do we love them? Because it's what we're called to do. So uh, most likely you already know these, but there are four answers to that question that Paul gives to the church in Rome in chapter 12. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with anyone. And by the way, that's the key. As far as it depends on you. Dealing with difficult people is difficult, right? But as far as it depends on you, you take the initiative to make this relationship less messy. And so here there are four things. And by the way, if you're not, this next one, if you're not doing it, this is your next step in your faith, in your walk, faith walk with Jesus, all right? So this is the first one, do what is kind. Paul says, do what is in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And down, drop down in verse 21, he says, overcome evil with good. I love what Billy Graham says. It's in your notes. Hot heads and cold hearts never solved anything. James 1.20 reminds us that our anger does not bring about God's righteousness. Because in the heat of battle, we're likely to say something that we wish we hadn't said. 
and if we weren't so angry, might not have said, and we wish we could take back. Proverbs 12 says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I want to remind you of a passage we looked at last week, Proverbs 25, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. We need to do what is kind by speaking words that bring healing to the situation, not that inflame the situation. Here's the second. Paul writes, relationships have a better chance of being less messy. And by the way, if you're not doing this, this is your next step in your walk with Jesus is by doing what's right. In other words, don't do what's wrong. In, in other words, don't slip into this unproductive cycle of retaliation. Proverbs 20 says, do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. And quite frankly, sometimes that's difficult to do. Because the person you want to get even with is right in front of you, or their car is, or, you know, their desk is, or their locker. Colossians 3 says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Interestingly, the, the word rule, let the peace of Christ rule, is where we get our English word umpire. That means Jesus is calling the shots, and he and, and keeps us from anything that would robbeth of the peace, Jesus is calling the shots in our life, and he will do anything that he can to uh, keep the peace being robbed from us that he died to give us. That's his vested interest in this. He died to give it to us. And it's why even when we're in the middle of retaliation, we know that it's wrong, right? You've done this, right? It's why even when we're doing this thing that we think is going to make us feel better, it doesn't. Do what is right. Here's the third one. And if you're not doing this, this is your next step in your faith. Do what's possible. Not everything is, but do what is. Abraham Lincoln said, I'd like it said of me that I always pulled up a weed and planted a flower where I thought a flower would grow. Do what is possible as far as it is up to you. It begins with recognizing, again, that not all things are up to you. It includes recognizing that not all people are, are wired the same. There are different personalities. There are different character types. And inherent in that understanding is that all people have areas of strengths and areas of weaknesses. And you may not always be able to help others. But when you can, when it is possible, Paul is saying step up to the plate and do something about it. Even with the people that you really don't want to help, you need to step up. And while Jesus' followers should always seek to do that, sometimes it's beyond our control. So do what is possible, uh, recognizing that not everything is. And one more, and this could be your next, if you're not doing this, this is your next step. And it's not going to go down easy. But Paul writes, do what is gracious. I do love this. Nine years ago, it was in January of 2011, uh, Britain's border agency announced the firing of an immigration officer while his wife was visiting family in Pakistan, he quietly added her name to the list of terrorists that were not allowed back into the country. It ranks as one of the most creative strategies for dealing with marital conflict. Uh, <laughs> makes me glad Sandy doesn't work, you know, for Homeland Security. Listen, uh, <laughs> we, we ought not to be able but to help ourselves to be gracious to be grace-giving, and when we are, we are about the work of God. I love what Booker T. Washington said. It's on your notes. I shall, not, I shall allow no man to belittle my soul by making me hate him. It's treating your enemy as if he were your friend, and when you treat your enemy as if you were, they were your friend, it's possible 
that you will turn your enemy into your friend. So I want to give you one last thought. It's not from Paul. This is from Mike. Is it possible that the difficult person in my life and in the life of those around me is me? I just want to say this. Every person in this room will endure joy and pain as you go through each phase of your life. What's important isn't whether we have endured that, it's what we do with it. What do we do with the joy and, and the pain? There is a reason that we say around here that hurt people hurt people, right? I mean, we get that. But as, and as we grow up, many of us choose to learn compassion and consideration for others regardless of the hurt that we have experienced. But some of us never choose to learn to forgive and love others. And each of these choices has lasting consequences, and these consequences extend to the people who are in our lives. So every year it's important for us to take an honest assessment of ourselves and to look at our heart and our attitudes and our words and our actions to see if there are any signs that we are becoming difficult people, especially for others in our lives. So are you demanding uh, to everyone to place you first? Or are you loving and you're, are you serving to others? Are you explosive and abusive and vengeful? Or are you kind and gentle? Are you bitter and, and stingy or joyful and generous? Are your agenda and, and your desires priority over pleasing and serving God? Are you resentful and nasty toward others? Perhaps the biggest question we should ask ourselves and where we would get a moment of honesty is, would you want to be friends with your exact twin? They had the same words and the same attitudes that you do. Would you be friends with you? And if your answer is no to this, please, this could be the next step. In, this needs to be the next step in your faith. Because all of us here have the opportunity to change how we think and how we act and what we say. Because how our attitudes and our actions affect the people in our life from this point on. And Jesus can help us with that. Followers of his struggle with this, just like everyone else does. The difference is we have Jesus to help us through this. Only you have the power, though, to choose to be a loving or difficult person. Listen, I don't know about you, but I do not want to be that person that others feel like they have to walk on eggshells around. I have people like that in my life. I don't want to be that person for others. And he doesn't want that for you either. So let me just remind you of the verse that we looked at earlier. But this time, I'm going to ask that we look at it from this vantage. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, make the decision to live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, especially if you sense that you are becoming the difficult person that others have to live with. Listen, life is messy enough without making it more than it needs to be. Let us be bringers of peace into our world, into the lives of our family and our friends, those we go to school with, those that we go to work with, those that we live in, in the neighborhood with, those that we live in the same bedroom, the same house with. Let us be the bringers of peace into others' lives because that's when we are a reflection of Jesus.
God, we are grateful to you for who you have called us to be. We are your people. We are your people. We belong to you. Your word reminds us that we were bought at a price. Jesus, you gave your life for ours. Holy Spirit, you live inside of us. And if we will just listen to your voice, we have the opportunity to become more and more like you. And so even in this area of our life, whether it's that we, that we work around, live around difficult people, that we would learn how to love them. Because we know that's the task you've given us, love people. But Father, if we are the one who's becoming difficult, help us to lean back into you. Help us to understand what it means to be like you and to do the hard work on ourselves to understand why we're becoming this way and to do the hard work that allows other people to see you more readily in our lives. God, our call is to relationships and it's going to be messy. Thank you for showing us, not just telling us, but showing us how to love even in these messy relationships. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.